Our text of scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter, story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a preacher in the Judean desert, and he had a powerful message, and I suspect on some occasions he was hoarse himself. So perhaps it's not inappropriate that I should read this text with this voice today. Listen now for God's word for you. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? So gracious God, we come in this season of Advent to once again peer into the birthplace of our Lord and to once again discover the gift that you have given. So now quiet within us any voice but your own, that we might hear your word. For we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Angry is the new hope. I heard this recently from Dan Clifton, who is the head of policy and political research at the Capital Group, an investment group here in Los Angeles, speaking on a recent webinar following the election, Dan Clifton reminded listeners that Obama's presidential campaigns were all about hope. But this most recent election cycle, by contrast, was characterized by anger, especially from candidates Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. They tapped into a frustration and an anger 
that many American voters have with the way things are going in our country and throughout the world. Angry is the new hope. Describes this election cycle, at least according to one political observer. Now, John the Baptist might have been described in similar terms. His rhetoric and his style was unpolished, pointed, even accusatory. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Now, that's not exactly the opening statement that I saw in any of those fundraising appeals on Giving Tuesday in my inbox this last week. He was unimpressed with the current state of affairs, so John raised both his voice and the imaginations of others. He was especially intolerant of pseudo-religious faith of those of the establishment. And he had much to say about the complacency that had settled over people like a fog. The appearance of faith and none of the reality of it. So John the Baptist was a no-nonsense kind of guy, a rugged nonconformist who lived outside the boundaries of the society. Barbara Brown Taylor calls him God's Doberman Pincher. Like a guard dog, he had sort of a vicious bark. Angry is the new hope. That might have been a phrase used to describe what John the Baptist was up to out on the Jordan River, out in the Judean desert. Now every once in a while, it's not a bad thing to have a little wake-up call. Maybe we need a little greater sense of urgency about the changes that God intends for us and for our lives and for the world. So the question this morning is perhaps, how are you preparing for Christmas this year? Are you going through the same old preparations and routines? Or is there something that just might be under your skin and upsetting you this year? And I mean upsetting you in an inspired kind of way. 1843, in England, a parliamentary report was issued, the second report of the Children's Employment Commission, caught the attention of a young author. It was a report detailing the effects of the Industrial Revolution on the lives of children. Vast changes were taking place in the 19th century in English society, especially with respect to economics and also with the celebration of Christmas itself. For example, at that time in the 19th century, the Christmas tree was first introduced into English society, a tradition that came from Germany. And sending Christmas cards was a new development as well. And there was a desire in English society to return to the old traditions and not embrace these new traditions. Almost 20 years before this, however, a young Charles Dickens father had been imprisoned, probably in debtor's prison, forcing young Charles to have to leave school, 
to go to work at a factory at the age of 12, and he had to pawn his school books in order to be able to pay for his lodging. So Dickens, Charles Dickens, saw firsthand the incredible difficulty of poor children in 19th century England. Street children that lived in appalling conditions. So he planned to write a pamphlet appealing to the people of England on behalf of the poor children in response to the parliamentary report. But instead, he wrote A Christmas Carol. And it was published in December of 1843. It was an instant success. And it's become one of the most enduring Christmas traditions since that time. Our family has attended during Advent season, the Christmas Carol on several occasions. And today, down in Westminster Hall, there's a performance of the Christmas Carol that's led by Richard Seymour and a children's uh, play group that have been rehearsing for a number of weeks. And of course, you all remember the story about the miserly old man Ebenezer Scrooge, whose former partner, Jacob Marley, revisits him after his death, about seven years after his death, to warn him to change his ways, or he will suffer the same fate, carrying these huge, heavy chains around for eternity because of his cold and his heartless ways. Marley embodies the winter coldness, the despair, the darkness, the death of heartless ways. Marley is only the first visitor. Visited then by the ghost of Christmas past, Ebenezer recalls a time before he becomes what he had become, miserly and greedy. Once, he was young and in love. But he chose greed over the woman of his dreams, and the die was cast. He had given his heart to the wrong future. But it was really the ghost of the Christmas yet to come, the ghost of the future, that brings about the transformation in his heart. When he sees the inevitable results of the choices he is making and the future consequences for his life because of his choices, it scares him half to death. And he awakens to find it's not too late. He can change the future by changing the present. Ebenezer Scrooge changes overnight. His heart is transformed by this vision of the future that left him frightened about the consequences of his behavior. And it seems to me that's precisely the message of John the Baptist. He is something of a ghost of the past and a ghost of the future in the gospel reading. He's Elijah, returned from the past, but he introduces this coming of the Lord and the hoped-for future. Like Dickens, he's an outsider seeking to change the way people live in the present. 
for the sake of that coming future. And isn't that the heart of the message? Christ is coming. So change the way you live now for the sake of that future. Sometimes an outsider's perspective of the future has a way of transforming everything and we disregard those perceptions to our own peril. Now you all know that John the Baptist lived in the wilderness and believed the prophecy of Isaiah was being fulfilled. He lived in a community near a place called Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered back in the 1940s. They were literally making a way in the wilderness for the coming of the Messiah. Several of us who visited the Holy Land this year actually visited this place just last spring. So who knows, maybe now is a good time to talk about the consequences of refusing to make good choices in life. That's certainly the message that John the Baptist was prepared to preach. Don't take God lightly. Don't think that the way you're living now will continue forever. If we're to avoid some of the disasters we fear, maybe we need to be frightened a little by the ghost of what is yet to come. A little sense of urgency about the changes God would have us make in our own lives and in the world. John was especially concerned about religious language that's eviscerated of content and then gets pressed into service to achieve a monetary goal. That's a problem. It's the very kind of thing that would anger a purist like John the Baptist. Empty religion, vacuous belief that produces nothing in the human heart. No change in our fractured human relationships. That angered John and it angered Charles Dickens. Fake religion is worse than no religion. So John the Baptist was rather merciless with those who maintained the status quo so people kept paying their token pledge to the temple but experienced no change of heart, no real faith in God, no compassion towards others that comes from that faith. So today we hear again that there's a real choice to be made in this season. For faith, real faith, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to not choose that, there are dire consequences. The language that John uses is that of the threshing floor. On the threshing floor, you have to be careful not to sift out the kernel and discard the substance of faith and gathering up the chaff instead, which is exactly what Ebenezer Scrooge did. The threshing floor during the harvest is where the kernel of wheat is separated from the stalk when it's thrown into the air and the wind blows the chaff or the husk from the heavier kernel that falls to the ground 
in a process called winnowing. It's a great image for this constant process of trying to separate what is valuable from what is only packaging. And sometimes it's not easy to tell the difference. But every Christmas, every Advent season, we get to winnow. And we get to choose again what we will give our hearts to. So Christmas tends to focus our attention on recreating memories and traditions from the past. But Advent is really about the future. And the question in our text today is this. Are the preparations we are making for that future adequate? Because the choices we make today are not neutral. There are consequences for mistaking emptiness for substance and mere packaging for what is to be valued. So what vision is it that motivates you in this season of Christmas? What change is needed in your life that God is leading you to embrace? You might just find that change at the very place inside where you're most upset about some wrong or some injustice. What changes in your family and in our society are needed today for the sake of the way things should be? And what are you willing to invest in today for the sake of tomorrow? Well, maybe this year, a little sense of urgency isn't a bad thing. Those who went out to hear John the Baptist and to be cleansed from their past in the baptism that he provided returned home changed, lighter, less distracted, more focused, much like Ebenezer Scrooge was on that Christmas morning. Here's how Charles Dickens describes it. Ebenezer wakes to find there's still time. Yes, and the bedpost was his own, the bed was his own, the room was his own, best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own, to make amends in. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. Scrooge repeated as he scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. The shadow of things that would have been may be dispelled. They will be. I know they will be. End quote. The message of John the Baptist to us this morning is that the time before us is our own to make amends in. In the words of Dickens, the th shadow of things that would have been can and will be changed by how we choose to live now in the present. 
So scramble out of bed this Christmas with a new spirit within you. And may the Lord lead us into a future filled with hope and ready to invest in the future of others like the tiny Tims of the world for the sake of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is already present and yet is still coming. Thanks be to God. Amen.